hello again. This is Mandy Nolan. I'm sitting here with Ellen Briggs. And we've put together a podcast, as women like us, called Setting the Table, where we're actually talking about some of the issues around weight and around that whole maze of stuff around diets, which we're sort of pushing away from, but looking at much better patterns. And it's informed by the Australasian Lifestyle Medical Association. So the whole idea of setting the table is about making these changes, is about, you know, sifting through a lot of the information and sometimes misinformation that we have. Um, And the way we're marketed to often as women about what we should be eating, that makes us often do fad diets and stuff that's actually not really healthy or sustainable for us. So as women that care about other women, we want to help you get through. Yeah, exactly. And I love that idea of setting the table because it kind of starts before you start eating, doesn't it? Exactly. You have to be prepared and that's like preparing the meal and involving your family and involving your friends and even your community. I like that. I like that kind of... It's nice, isn't it? A place is set for you to actually join and into a new way of living, hopefully. Come and sit at our table. And you hopefully healthier table by yeah, the end of cool. this. So, of course, we're not experts, but we do, if you listen to our first podcast last week, we do call Dr. Caroline West, who she is the past president of the Lifestyle um, Australasian Society of Lifestyle Medicine, sorry, and she has really made this her 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 life's work hasn't she for so for the last 30 years she's really been advocating for a healthy lifestyle and changes because it really is the number one thing for women you would have seen her on catalyst she's often on the project she's um been on beyond 2000 and she continues to work one-on-one with women you know about really what what matters so when we're going to call her later on in the episode um and we're actually going to hear the science behind the things like it's all her all her research all the stuff she says is actually scientifically based the stuff we say isn't no it is but we do have lived experience it's experience based yes absolutely yeah, yeah because we both have had tricky relationships with food over the years haven't we mandy well yeah it is even still now i definitely do well what are your tricky relationships well, with food i am a definite stress eater you know, like when, when thing, I you know, when you hear these people and they go, I get really stressed or, you know, I, I mean, for example, some friends of ours got divorced and they both just lost so much weight and looked amazing. And, you know, Alex said, we should get divorced. <laughs> and I said, you and I would just blow up because <laughs> we're the same. Um, we, I just, when I'm stressed, I eat and I, and I don't even realize I'm doing it. Honestly, sometimes I, I have to look back and go, my God, what was I? Did I eat? What did I do that? What were you did doing then? Were you actually eat when you're angry? Do you eat when you're angry or eat yeah, when you're sad? Everything. Sad, sad eating, sad happy, eating. Worried, stressed, nervous. All of the all the emotions. All the I'm a real emotional eater. I also do that thing where I go, right, on Monday, I'm oh, yeah. on track. I'm on track and I'll be I'll be really, really good and then I have a massive binge. Do you do, you do that thing where it's like any addict does that, they go, Monday I start, so I better eat like hell yeah. this yeah, yeah. weekend because that'll be the last time. It's kind of like how you actually, you kind of buy, you buy a binge. It is right? Yeah, it is. It's hard to be, I mean, the hard thing I think around food is you've got to get good habits is that most people who have addictive habits to um, substances, their, their way of managing it generally is to not have it anymore. Yeah. So food is something that you can't do that with. You just got to make good choices. Yeah, yeah. You can ar- do without heroin. Yeah, <laughs> but, you know exactly. So that's all that you can do. That so that's what makes it kind of a unique area where you have to mm. educate yourself and actually really, um, I guess you know, learn all the things yeah. about feeding your body. And because I feel like 
there's a lot of things we don't actually know. We kind of we don't. We grew up in a food culture where you know I wasn't even really taught to cook. Um, really. So I mean, what are your relationships with food? Well, what are your patterns? I tend to I'm, I'm I can go for ages and not really eat anything. I tend to restrict a lot. Like I won't eat for a day or so or I won't eat for half a day and then I'll get really hungry at a certain time and then I'll just eat really quickly. Game I'm, on. Well, I'm usually running to something so mm. I haven't got time to eat. So I'll just I'll just start picking at things and I have a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a few nuts and a, a few nuts. I might, you know, eat a recommended nut intake because I, I eat the right things. Yeah. I just eat sometimes at the wrong time. Like I'll eat probably the other day I went, I think I just ate 500 grams of cashews and I don't think that's recommended in a sitting. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of calories, right? Yeah, it would be a lot yeah. of calories. And and I go, well, it's actually not bad for me, but I don't think I should be having that, that much. much. So I, I'm more of um, I'm an unconscious eater and the fact yeah. that I'm not really conscious of what I'm eating until it's been too much. Like I've never been someone that gets sad and goes to the fridge like in Friends or something and gets the ice cream out and sits on the yeah. couch. Like I've never done that. Yeah. I wouldn't do that, but if I sit down to eat and I've always eaten too fast and I'm a kind of social eater, like I'll eat more. I'm like a chicken. Yeah. Um, if I'm around other chickens, I'll eat a lot more. Yeah, yeah. Because I do, I do love And I it. think one of the things that has changed in, in our way of eating to when we were kids, I don't ever remember my mother putting things on the table and we helped ourselves onto our plate. It was all dished up in the kitchen. Yeah. Wasn't it? Because there, there weren't massive amounts of food to go around. There was never massive amounts. So it was all portioned out, you know, dad got the biggest serve and then on and on it went and your plate was put on the table and that's all that was on the table. Whereas now we go, okay, here's a plate of chicken, here's the plate of vegetables, here's the plate yeah. of, you know, potatoes, whatever else it is. And you find yourself, I don't know about you, but sometimes you can have two meals doing that. You know, it's like when you get, say, Thai takeaway and you you end up eating three times what you would normally eat because you go, okay, I'll have some rice and some of that curry, and you eat that. Then you go, okay, I'll have a bit more rice and some of that different curry. Yeah, it is one of those. It is hard, isn't it? I just remember growing up, you just never had. I mean, we we I grew up. My mum was a single parent because she was widowed, and, and it was only two children, so we ate. There was no man of the house. So there was our food was actually quite different and there was never extra food because mum was really on a budget, like she was really poor. So there was never anything left. Um, so you, you didn't go back looking for more because there never was more. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there was never that whole idea. I also remember. But we nearly, do you nearly always have leftovers after dinner? We cook too much, Yeah, I, think. I often do. It's hard because yeah. I've gone from cooking for a family of seven to just three of us Yeah. after the kids have left home and I find I can't cook for less than five. Yeah. Like it just feels like, well, what's the point of cooking for three? It just seems pointless. Yeah. And I've had to change. I've had to change that. I've also found, you know, I was talking about growing up that like now when kids go home, they go to the pantry in the fridge. Yeah. And I was never allowed just to ransack no. the cupboards. No way. You had to ask, yeah. can I have this? Yeah. Or you'd have a snack. And you you were not allowed to eat anything till dinner then. Like yeah, you had your three right. after school snack and then that was it. But yeah. You notice the kids are just in the pantry just hitting the biscuits or Always. hitting the noodles. Oh, those noodles. I hate the smell of those noodles. Oh, my son lives on those me goring noodles. I know. Every single day they're he like, them. They're like teenage crack, mm. aren't they, those noodles? Yeah, they're gross. Anyway, I'm interested in why we eat like that because when we're eating, we're not even hungry. It's well, it's the psychology behind the food, isn't it? So let's give Dr. Caroline a call and see if we can get her on here. I always love 
calling Dr. Caroline, our celebrity doctor. It's really good, isn't it? Yeah. Every time we call her, she's never eating. She's she's <laughs> controlled. <laughs> We've got to learn some of her control. It'd be funny if we do one of these episodes actually eating. Get her with a mouthful. <laughs> no, she'll be eating fruit. Hello. Oh, hello, Dr. Caroline. It's Ellen and Mandy. How are you? We're very well. We were just saying um, we hope to catch you one day while you're eating. <laughs> I thought it'd be funny to do that. It'd be okay because she'd be eating something really healthy, well, salad. Yeah, I was just having a snack actually. What were you eating? Before you called. Uh, I was having some fresh chopped berries on some um, cream cheese on some whole grain sourdough. So that I sort of find as a little treat. Oh, oh that, that sounds, sounds you know, delicious. It's a really great treat because it is – because often that's one of the things you feel like, isn't it? Cause, you know, because we were talking about our relationship with food and the way we eat. And sometimes you do feel like you need something like that, but, you you know, when you take sugar out, you can't have it. So, But you can still have your little treats. Yeah, yeah. I, I still have my little little treats and so I use fruit for my treats a lot of the time and nuts. So um, I know it sounds, you know, like I'm um, the person that's just always following the, um, the book, but, you know, I just find that I, I've got used to that and I really enjoy eating it. You know, I look forward to it. So, yeah. That's good. Can I... Can I ask you too, before we go into longer conversation, because you said, you know, that must be hard for you because you're a really slim woman um, and you know everything, you know, because this has been kind of a very long project for you of working with women one-to-one around weight management and giving this sort of advice. But how has it been for you? I mean, you know, is it really easy for you or do you have to be very strict on yourself at times too? Well, well, I think the thing is that I genuinely um, enjoy feeling that sense of energy and I like sleeping well and I feel a lot better when I make good choices. And so for me over the years, I've just evolved these patterns which allow me to feel well. It, it's, it's hard though because you're surrounded um, by an environment that's just prompting you to eat you know, sugary, fatty foods. Yeah. all the time, salty food, wherever you go. You can't even go to the pharmacy and pick up a script now without having to run the gauntlet of the chocolate bars or the, the all those packaged bars at the checkout. And so, you know, if I if I sort of just um, allow myself to just eat all of those things on the fly all the time, just like everybody else, um, I can start to, to gain weight, especially around the middle given my age, being mid-age. But, you know, it's interesting. We started to talk a bit about in the last episode that, you can actually be quite slim but be unhealthy. And oh. I think this is one of the things around um, weight management that we really need to have a think about is that sometimes people who are slim, if they're very sedentary and they're eating a lack of diversity in their foods and they're eating lots of processed foods, will actually be far less healthy than some people who are bigger mm. who are physically active and, you know, they've got all of these other determinants um, in terms of their lifestyle that are making them healthier. So I think sometimes we can just say, oh, well, that person's slim, they must be healthy. And I think, um, you know, a lot of it comes down to body composition as well. You know, you can be slim but actually carry quite a bit of kind of unwanted fat around the organs. And, you know, sometimes that's why, you know, we talked last time a bit about scales and, um, you know, when we didn't didn't want to get on the scales. Yeah. Um, and that will give you a number of your overall kind of weight, but it won't always tell you about the body composition and what, you know, yeah. how you're treating in that department. And so, yeah, you can be slim and unhealthy and you can be bigger and 
pretty healthy. Yeah, well, that's interesting. Um, earlier on this year, my husband, who has always he's always been quite slim. He, you know, he he does pretty well, and he doesn't actually do any, um, you know sort of exercise where he goes, okay, I'm going for a run or anything, but he's quite active. Um, he was having trouble with his blood pressure and he went to the doctor and they got to the bottom of it and he basically had um, non-alcoholic fatty liver syndrome because he doesn't drink at all. And he was, mm. he was really surprised and it kind of kicked him into gear. He, he really, we both actually really cleaned up our diet and he then, I think he lost about eight kilos over a period. This is when we were in lockdown um, we kind of got the COVID curve pretty hard and then we, we, we cut it off and he lost about eight kilos and his test came back really, really positive at the end just from losing that amount of weight. And he's, he, you know, you would look at him, wouldn't you, Mandy, and think that he's quite a slim guy, he doesn't drink, he doesn't smoke, you know, he's, he's pretty moderate in everything he does. But, yeah, he had that, you know, that's a serious disease, isn't it? Yeah, well, the thing is that you can get this sort of fat spilling over into places like the liver and the muscle and the bloodstream. And then if, if you particularly put fat around your organs, like, you know, when sometimes you can have people that are quite slim in the legs, but they have a bigger belly. I do. We know that- <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of me. Caroline, I know that person. It's me. I know. That's Mandy. Mandy has the most amazing legs and arms. And she carries all her weight all my in weight. her in it's her really tummy. Hard, actually. Whereas mine's me? all over me. I need to know this because it's sort of it's a real thing for me. It's actually really hard to move. Well, you know, the thing is that we you know, we talked before about scales and that's one sort of metric that we can look at in terms of how we're tracking, but weight circumference is also kind of an indicator of how well we're doing. And certainly men tend to put on weight more around their middle. You know, yeah. you see that the classic sort of bloke and they've often got the little skinny legs and then they've got the big barrel chest and neck and tummy. And women, as we get to sort of menopause, we do start putting on fat in different spots, which is not always what we want. But, you know, we start even slim women can start to really thicken up um, around the middle and start to put extra fat there, which we know is a bigger risk for things like heart disease. So, um, it's interesting, isn't it, how our body shapes can change. Oh, it's amazing. Mm. I'm actually interested too, Caroline, because we were talking before about Ellen. Was, Ellen's a really emotional eater and we're looking back at our childhood patterns as well. Like do you see that with people is that, you know, it's not just like I can know all this about what to eat, but I have to deal with how I feel and what my responses and triggers. Like you kind of have to know your triggers. Well, it's, it's like an addiction, isn't it? You know, as soon as as soon as something happens, you fall back into these really unhealthy patterns. Is mm. I mean, some I mean, there is some sense of addiction with food, isn't there? Well, I think I think that we all have a relationship with food, and the relationship with our food starts from when we're small children. You know, whether we're rewarded with food, whether we're comforted by food, um, whether we're told to finish everything on our plate, or we try and restrain our eating eating patterns early. And so we've all got this kind of relationship with food and this is why we're managing our, our health and managing our weight. It's all about kind of understanding those patterns and seeing where you, where you fit. Now, the most common pattern I probably see is the comfort stress eating pattern um, where people eat more of the, you know, stressed, sad, bored. That's me. Um, insert any any feeling you like and that's, that's the trigger. Yeah. Happy, sad, stressed, worried, scared. <laughs> I could hear a burglar outside and I'd have my head in the fridge. 
<laughs> oh, that is so, so what do you do about that? See, that's one of those things that that's a really hard thing to change. Like, you know, and I guess people when they're stressed go more for sugar. Like you, when you're stressed, you don't go, I might have a handful of nuts. No, or a nice salad. But what do you do? What What is no. a good thing to actually, a strategy to have, um, you know, that you could actually build in so that when you felt that stress, because often people are unconscious too about it. They're not really aware. But what could you what could you do? What have you recommended before? Well, I mean, first of all, it's like recognising that there's a pattern there because often, as you say, it's sort of fairly mindless. You've, you've eaten that chocolate bar before you've even realised that you've woofed down the whole thing. You know, you've bought the big bar thinking, I'll just eat two rows now and I'll put the rest away. And you've mowed your way through most of it just because you're distracted and stressed. So I think the first thing is to sort of recognize when you're most likely to have those patterns. And for a lot of people, they're, you know, it's not just a once a month thing. For a lot of people, it's mid-afternoon snacks. For example, uh, in an office environment where people or work environment where people have worked all day and they're pretty exhausted, but a lot of that's a mental exhaustion, not a physical exhaustion, but they get into that pattern of I feel tired and exhausted and stressed. I'm now going to have the three o'clock pick-me-up chocolate, you know. Yeah, and a lot um, of offices you, now have um, cake day. I had an office well, where a cake on Fridays. Yeah, right. So there's that, but they also have those the vending machines offices. You know, yeah. like they'll actually have them on the floors, won't they? Yeah, and you know there are sort of um, fundraisers on the front desk. Oh, and there's, yeah. It's sort of this this culture of just kind of having this available food is oh who's going to get the chocolate or, um, and so if you if you start to recognise that as a pattern, for example. It's about a little bit of forward planning. So often when we're comfort eating, we're being reactive. You know, we're sort of feeling something and then we're eating. So if you know that you have a certain pattern, um, it's about pre-planning and going, okay, well, in my workspace, I'm actually going to make sure that I have like a healthy snack with, with me and I'll eat that first and then I'll see how I go. Because very rarely if you divert your attention and you sit down and have a nice cup of tea and something that's healthy – it will still give you that sense of, oh, I've had a bit of time out for myself without it sort of um, sabotaging your health. Yeah. You know, so even just a bit of forward planning and working out, oh, okay, these are the circumstances where I comfort eat um, and then going, okay, what could my alternative be? And I often workshop that with women to, to go, okay, what? Because everybody's going to have a different idea. I don't think you can sort of have a hard and fast prescription there, but it's about sort of, Getting people to think about, oh, what could I do differently? What would work for me? What's realistic? And what makes you, what's um, kind of a nurturing feeling, you know? I did that the other day and I was feeling kind of a bit stressed and exhausted and I rarely feel like sugar anymore and I really, really did feel like a piece of cake. But I actually went and got a massage. It was a lot more expensive than cake and a really <laughs> much better much outcome. Better. There yeah. you go. That's great. But some of the things that I've found people do is that they swap to having like delicious teas. You know, they'll, they'll actually kind of treat themselves to getting a range of really delicious teas, which, you know, have, have no energy in them, but they give you that sense of, you know, they're rose hip or they're some sort of, they've got that edge of little sweet taste that actually. Mm. Yeah, and so there's a ritual around it. So I think you've got to get like- a really nice teapot, and we got to get we got to get the whole thing. For me, it's got to be <laughs> at work. 
Oh, you know, you can get. Sorry, the tiny... everybody, stop. Mandy's making her tea. We all. No, you, <laughs> you, can, you can get the single teapot with the little cup in it. Like I think the single. It, that's the single ladies teapot. Yeah, but I think sometimes it's nice. <laughs> I don't. I, I like what Caroline's saying, but I think you almost have to make it. You do Absolutely have to make that ritual for yourself. Yeah, or even even things like um. I know when I worked in an office, I made sure I had really nice containers. You know, and and so I would chop up some fruit and put them in a nice container rather than, you know, a dirty old Thai takeaway container because you can buy some Mm. beautiful ones now, you know, like that have got flowers on them or whatever. And and even that can be nicer because you're eating out of something that doesn't feel like it's gross, you know, and you put your fruit in there or your nuts or whatever it is. Um, I guess that could make a difference too. Oh, it makes a huge difference. And if you've actually left, you know, so... I, I do a lot of stuff in um, remote areas at my rural areas and often I'm a long way from the nearest shop. Um, and I just take little containers with me with a variety of little snack foods so that if I do hit the wall a bit, I can sit down and actually have something that's quite nutritious. And if I haven't forward planned that, I'll just sort of be on that reflex loop of, oh, is there a tin of biscuits in the kitchen or the tea room? Or you, you just have those go-to patterns that everybody falls into those cracks if if you're surrounded by food, it gets back to sort of food is often going to depend on the environment that you're in, you know, what mm. food's available, what yeah. food is everybody else eating, you know, what food did I plan to bring? Um, so if you surround yourself by an environment that's all got those shortcuts, which are foods that don't actually leave you feeling any better at the end of them, like if you have four chocolate biscuits, most people don't go, gee, I feel good now. No. <laughs> <laughs> No, and that's that's that that's another one of those sort of patterns, isn't it? You know, when I know I find it really hard if I'm at a party, and we've talked about this before, Mandy. Um, when you get to a party and there's a a big table of the dips and the chips and you know oh, the olives and the it. cheese, and I could I could eat all of that and then sit, you know, and then sit down and have a meal. Or, you know, I've got Mm. friends where you go come around for a barbecue and what do you want me to bring? And I go, I don't bring anything, you know, like we're fine or just bring your meat or whatever. And then they turn up with a really delicious platter of meats and cheese. Oh, this is just pickies before, you know. they're feeders. Mm. And so then you eat that and then you have your meal and then someone else has bought a delicious Mars bar cheesecake for dessert I think and the alcohol. Caroline, that would be, I find that happens. I eat out of... um, trying to please people, not that I'm hungry. Like if they've bought that, I'll eat it, have a piece of it because mm. people get upset if you don't try stuff. And then once you're in, you're in. Yeah. How do you deal with that? Yeah, and yeah, I think that that gets down to the social thing, doesn't it? And so that's another sort of thing that revolves around this relationship with food. And some people are in that category. If they see food, they'll eat it. Um, or if they're surrounded by the buffet or social expectations, they yeah. feel that it's very hard to control it. Um So once again, I mean, we know from lots of experiments that have been done, when you increase the sort of offerings and the portion size, that people tend to overeat. So the buffet at a a barbecue or a social event is a classic example where we we just sort of in a social environment get excited, start eating, and we'll have nibbles, and then we'll have mains, and then we'll have two pieces of dessert and a bit of cheese at the end. It, it, It is something where once again bringing your sort of attention to it and arriving with some choices that you could include that you know will be your go-tos to start with. Um, it's, it's kind of important to once again be, be fully aware of, 
um, what you could do slightly differently and what choices, you, as I said, you could provide to the buffet that would be healthier ones. So a fruit platter, for example, at the end rather than a dessert, you know, yeah. a cake or a... That's a great um, idea. And, you know, and you, you go prepared with that. So if somebody asks you to bring something, you bring a fruit plate. Yeah. Um, and, and then just have plenty of water too. So even, you know, having a big um, 500 mils of water before you go to something half an hour before, you know, having that sense of fullness or... Or you know, having something with some fibre in it um, can certainly contribute to that sense well, the, of the of water would work before. because yeah. you have to leave the table to go to the toilet all the time. You do. <laughs> I found Ellen and I do a lot of work on um, ships when, well, when when, when, when we have sailing. previously have, and one of the things they have is have buffets, like big buffets. And when I went on one once, I was really aware because I was really watching what I ate, and I could not eat one thing from the buffet, not one thing. Um, at all mm. because everything was mixed with carbs. It was, you know, there wasn't just a plain green salad. So I just ended I bought some of those um, meal replacements. So I'd just have one of those mm. and then yeah. I'd have to eat something but I'd eat a lot less of it because there was no other choices. Like mm. it was, you know, do you, yeah. do you recommend using meal replacements at all? They can be really um, useful and they can be useful because they're very calorie controlled. I know we talked about a calorie is not always a calorie, but um, they'll be sort of well nutritionally balanced in terms of covering all your bases for that one meal and they'll often only have a couple of hundred calories. Um, you can use them before you go to a big event. You could have it sort of an hour or so before to give you that sense of fullness and you've taken that edge off your appetite. So when you get to the buffet, you're not ravenous and tired. I find the combination of being ravenous and tired often leads to people overshooting the mark. Yeah. Um, so I think I think they can be really great and they'll often allow people to get progress in those first few weeks. But they're not for everyone. The taste of them is not always what people are after and um, but they do portion control and they can be good. Um, but thinking about the buffet thing, the other thing is worth thinking about is just getting yourself a really small plate Oh, just you know, don't go to the buffet like a side plate. I've got my plates are massive. Don't go to the buffet with the big platter plate. Just pick the little the little plate. Yeah. Um, because we know that the, the your portion size is going to influence how much you eat. Even if the food tastes revolting, they've done experiments where you still overeat if really? you serve yourself more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter <laughs> if it's stale and tastes horrible. If you give yourself a great big serve of it you're still more likely to eat more of it. You'll eat it, yeah. Another, yeah, yeah. Another one of the, the things we were talking about, I was saying to Mandy, I'm very much, I'm kind of all the, I'm all the eating patterns, but one of the things um, that I think we've both done, Mandy, is mm. when you go, okay, on Monday, that's it, I'm cutting out sugar and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be really good and rah-rah. So you, have, you basically have a massive binge on the weekend. But then inevitably you always... Um, fall off that you know because it's it's unsustainable which is you know the actually the bottom line of what we're talking about but and doing that kind and then you then you have this massive kind of binge and I don't know there's there's got to be something about mindless eating that we need to talk about and and that is surely that's some form of disorder really that you know the the restriction and then the binging Totally. I mean, you get those restrained eating patterns, don't you, where people are always trying to eat less and they control it really tightly, then they have a binge and then they feel guilty guilty, and then it goes around in a nasty cycle. But 
I think you've touched on something really important and that's the sort of mindful eating. Now, a lot of people will have heard of mindfulness, you know, where it's where you sort of bring your curiosity without judgment to a situation. So it could be that you really take note of the, the colour of your food or the smell of your food, really take notice of the taste of it. Um, because a lot of us are eating with so much distraction that it's a bit like the portion size. We just have no idea what we're actually taking on board. And so if you're on the phone, if you're driving your car, if you're watching TV, you're not going to be paying attention to your food. So you're not going to have a great relationship with your food because you're not giving it the attention it needs. And you're just more likely to eat rubbish and eat it in abundance because you're not paying attention to, to any of those senses. Um, yeah, we really, really sure. I think yeah, attraction. We can, yeah. we can be like that. I also find, I don't know, I, I think sometimes as women, you know, it, it's actually a deeper issue it feels like sometimes than just, you know, we're, we're very heavily marketed around body image and mm. our concern for health actually isn't as high, I think, as our concern for body image. And I I, I have to say the, the time I put the most weight on when I was living with my, my daughter, uh, my eldest daughter developed an eating disorder around the age of 14 and I became really aware to model, you know, not to model restrictive behaviour. But that had a really limp, bad impact on me because I couldn't, I got rid of the scales, I made sure I, you know, I was eating well. Yeah. But in in doing that, because it is such a fine thing, isn't it? We, we, we do mm-hmm. have these really quite potent relationships with our body image and we do role model mm-hmm. our eating. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, and, and, you know, it gets back to sort of, I guess, appreciating all of the things our bodies can do. I think so often we've got this sort of love-hate relationship with our bodies and that just grinds us into the dust, you know. It's, particularly for women, you know, there's so much um, there's, there's so much attached to this sense of, oh, you know, what so shape much. I am and what weight I am and it misses the point of actually, well, how healthy are you? You know, it's... We place a value on on how we look. Yeah, we we really do place value on how we look. Do you think a man would wake up, Caroline, and go, I've I've heard women say this and I've said it and go, oh, my God, I feel so fat today. Like fat isn't a feeling. Like I I don't know if Mm -hmm. men say I feel fat. Like I've seen slim women say I feel fat because we've. I mean, I think, yeah. I mean, women use that word fat, which is a really difficult word. I mean, even that sort of. Those words that we sometimes use, obesity, fat, I mean, they're, they're words that I don't feel most women are comfortable with. But men don't tend to come in and see me and go, oh, I'm, I'm fat, I'm overweight, I'm not getting on the scales. They often associate bigness with strength and power. Mm. And they think oh, I'm a big man, you know, I'm a powerful man. And so it's, it's often coupled with fairly positive um, bits of feedback, you know. Oh, he's a big man. Um, it's not he's a fat man. He's a big man. Yeah. Um, and women have completely different language around that, and and different expectations. So there can be very different approaches to this sense of weight and and whether it's a problem or whether it's not. I mean, a lot of men, for example, will get. Um, you know, most women can tell you what they weigh roughly and. How, that, how much they weighed when they were 25 and 18. And, you know, women are tracking it in their mind. They're not shocked to, to, to discover that their weight is less healthier than it could be. They know that stuff. Whereas some of the men I work with are genuinely surprised. 
Oh, they, 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 think the sc- they, they think the scales the, are wrong. Yeah, it's because they're great yeah, self-esteem. Yeah, yeah. So it's a completely different relationship with their bodies and they'll stand on They go, oh, that can't be right. So they're often not tracking it like women have. And it's a very interesting observation that I've made just working with both men and women. It really is. Different relationship with the numbers and different, yeah. And the the sizes. That When you just said that then, I'd never really thought about that, that men are really, you know, if you you do, if if you say, oh, yeah, he's a real big bloke. And a, and a very slim man, there's also that, um, you know, people people will go, oh, God, he'd blow over in a big wind, you know, that yeah, sort of stuff. Of Whether if they wouldn't say that about a woman, that's how she's expected to be. Yeah, so we have we have totally different expectations. And, and, you know, I think that a lot of men often come late to the weight management piece because they have less awareness about where those tipping points are in terms of their health. Like they'll often address yeah. it when there's been a crisis, they've had a heart attack, or the doctor says your cholesterol's through the through the roof, or whatever it is. But until that point, they've often not given it much attention. Now I think younger men are probably shifting because just like women, they have a lot of pressure to start looking um, differently. You know, the Instagram generation probably have different senses of what a male body should look like, as well as. You know, women are influenced. Men are starting to be very influenced by that culture as well. So I think it's all shifting. But you know, certainly the older generations have, have often equated you know size with strength in men. Yeah, that's interesting, Carolyn. I think it's been great for us to chat to that today, and I've, it's really given me some insight into the fact that as women, what we need to do, in a sense, is is develop a, a kind of mindfulness around uh, the way we eat and around our bodies, and and to look at it from a point of self-esteem and and self-love rather than, you know, the kind of more punishing ways we've traded ourselves because it feels like that could be the thing that makes a difference in mm. making habit changes. So thank you. That was great. It's really good. I feel like I've learned a lot. I, I might need to lose a bit of power because I'm quite a powerful woman. <laughs> that? Well, that's right. <laughs> I love that. I'm going to start saying I'm a very powerful woman. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. We'll talk to you again next week, Caroline. Thank you. Bye. See you later. Bye. Oh, she's so interesting. I know it was really interesting. I, it was interesting looking at that gender divide too, and I was actually yeah. imagining going, going. I need to lose just a bit of power. Yeah, I need to I'm, cut down on my power. Over the last few years, I seem to have got more and more powerful. It's actually a really positive way of looking Which at I it. Which I think though, you have it? anyway. Well, I have anyway. Take, but take aside, um, aside. I I really love all those practical things that she said. You know, for what you can do. Really, it, it's as simple as we have to put as much planning into our food as we do with everything else. We plan yep. in the morning, we get up and we go, okay, I've got to do my, I've got to wash my hair tomorrow. And, you know, we, we make sure if we want to wear a dress tomorrow, that's done. So we need to put the same we do. We attention to- into our food that we put into all of those other things, don't we? Well, I guess so there are takeaways this week from our yeah. chat with Dr. Caroline is that I think we've got to understand and really drill down on what our own personal relationship with food is so that we can navigate that and be prepared, like you say, be ready, you know. Yeah, be ready for those triggers. You know, for me, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of triggers. So I need to, I, you know, like when she she mentioned a journal there, didn't she? You know, like maybe sometimes when you're really emotional, go and write something down or, you know, maybe, maybe I 
some sometimes have a drink of water. You know, That's like it, good. it'll just make That's you feel a good, better. Yeah, good plan. I think and all... tune in with your body a bit more and know why. Well, that's you part of the deciding. other takeaway, which is I think is mindfulness. Yeah, um, which, which we have teased. We do tease mindfulness, but I think it does help, like really knowing what's going on. And sit and actually eat your food and enjoy it rather than eating your food while you're looking at your phone or the TV yeah. or while you're in the car or all of those things. We, you know, we have heard all this stuff before. I know. But she really um, reminds the, us. The other one is it's okay to be hungry. Don't panic. Yeah, that's you, right. We're, a lot of us aren't used to that feeling of hunger, is it? Are no, we? not anymore. Not used to it. Remember, as kids, we'd be hungry for hours. All the time. And it was fine. Yeah. So get used to being hungry again. They survived. You might actually enjoy it. Yeah, that's right. Well, that was fantastic. So um, thanks again to Dr. Caroline and also thanks again to the Australasian Society of Lifestyle Medicine who are, you know, really supporting us in making this podcast, aren't they, Mandy? They are. Fantastic. So thank you so much. We're enjoying it. I feel like I'm learning lots. So I I hope you are too. So tune in for episode three, which will be coming soon, which is called Feeding the Body. Oh, we've talked about feeding the mind today. I know. So, yeah, feeding the body. Okay, see you next time, everyone. Bye. Setting the Table is produced by women like us and informed by the Australasian Society of Lifestyle Medicine. As always, our original music is by Gian and Simon, so thank you for that. Don't forget to like us and rate us on places where you listen to your podcasts, like Apple Podcasts, where Spotify, else, Mandy? Spotify, you can listen to Spotify. Spotify, Podcast Republic, Google iTunes. Podcasts, iTunes, or you can just download it straight from um, our podcast website. So thanks for listening and we will see you next week.